Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Alison. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm good. Good morning to you from afternoon yeah, good here. Afternoon. It's How's beautiful your... sun. Yeah, beautiful sun before you ask. It's been a gorgeous <laughs> day. Really, really cold this morning. But then um, once the sun came up, oh, it's like summer. I ate lunch outside. Really, really wonderful. How about you? Wow. It's been snowing for two days. <laughs> oh, you've still got snow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't have snow for a while, but we have it again now. So you got it back It's now. okay. Um, it's okay. not loads and loads, but I'm just sitting here watching it fall um, out the window in Pretty. front of me. It's it's gorgeous. So I'll probably go outside and take some pictures whenever I do the chores. Lovely. So I get to see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. And welcome to everyone who's listening, whether you've got snow or sun today. Thank you mm-hmm. for um, sending us your feedback about the episodes, letting us know that you're enjoying it. Remember so that... Anything you can do to spread the word about the podcast is very much appreciated by both of us. So Mm -hmm. if there's an episode that you like, or you like this one perhaps, um, do share it with someone who you think would be helped or who it would inspire. Because um, the more people that know about this beautiful way of eating, um, the the better the world will be, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. And the more connected we are and the more we're all learning from each other, it's... Yeah, all a good thing. Yeah, send send this episode to somebody. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Thank guys. You. So, have you had breakfast yet, Andrea? I did. I did. It's been a what good, busy morning so far, and it's only mm-hmm. seven a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I had a two slices. Well, it's like maybe the equivalent of one normal bread slice because it's a small loaf, but mm-hmm. two slices of kind of stale bread and you you know Allison what is my mm. favorite thing to do with stale bread <laughs> oh fry it fry it lot <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep exactly I toasted it on the stove but I think it sounds nicer the way you said it I fried it <laughs> and just in a little bit of butter butter and then I salted it just a little bit so it's almost like mm. you have a little cracker in a way mm. and then I have some egg salad so I cooked um three 18 packs of eggs. So what's that? One, two, three, four and a half dozen eggs in the instant pot a couple of days ago. Wow. Yeah. It's a nice way to hard boil them because they all hard boil mm. to the same, you know, specification. Yeah. And the shells okay. come off pretty easy. And Are they all from your hens <clears throat> then? Or from your chickens? <laughs> yes. Wow. Do you know, lame. Allison, I've been keeping track. Do you know how many dozen eggs we've gotten so far this month? It's February as we're recording mm. and today's, I think the 23rd. So far, yeah. we've gotten 60 dozen eggs. <laughs> Gosh. So, they no are shortage busy. of eggs over here. Yes, they are. Yeah. And lots of new small hens that are laying for the first time. So okay. this is a very fruitful year. So last year's hens are now in their second year, which is um, peak production mm-hmm. for a hen. And then um, the hens that were pullets over the winter are now laying for the first time. So they'll I be see. At, a, at a high number for spring. So... Anyway, um, <clears throat> somebody asked, can you instant pot the eggs mm. without putting a rack in the bottom? Yes, I suppose you can because I use the pot, a rack 
in the bottom of my instant pot the first time I cooked eggs and I've never done it since. So I've been doing it this way for maybe five years. And yeah. somebody else asked, um, how fresh can I cook the eggs? So if you hard boil fresh, fresh eggs, they will not peel. Yeah. And people say to me all the time, yeah, but I buy eggs straight from the store and I hard boil them the same day and it's fine. <laughs> to which I just give them a very pointed look until they realize yeah. what they just said. And I would say I've been trying, toying around to see how fresh of eggs, I would say roughly a week seems to be ideal. Okay. Any sooner than that. And uh, some will peel fine and some struggle, um, but a week or more. And you can keep fresh eggs um, in a cool spot for, you know, two or three months. So, Do you put them in special like the egg? boxes or egg-shaped boxes mm -hmm. because otherwise they mm -hmm. just break or you know I, I'm yeah. trying to imagine how you store that many eggs yeah um so we have a fridge in the garage that is not on right now and I'm just been stacking them in there so it's cold really cold out there so I date yeah. them and stack them according to date and then uh, I pull from the oldest ones first okay okay so you and, cooked a, a lot of yep. them in the instapot yeah so we just made a big old batch that would last for a week or so. And then I also made a batch of mayo and I got some questions about that too, because I posted pictures of it. So mayonnaise is where, you know, Alison, how, like, have you ever bought mayonnaise at the store? Oh, um, many, like two decades ago, probably. <laughs> so if you're going to buy mayo, it's pretty expensive, I think. Um, especially if you're getting good mayo, like around here, I would say a pint is 10 or $12 for a good quality. And, okay. um, a pint doesn't last very long. Like if you're making potato salad, you would use the whole thing. <laughs> That's mm. an expensive potato salad. So if you're making it at home, fat can also be a pretty expensive commodity to buy. I know mm. avocado oil is a popular one for making mayo. Um, mm. but I use all the little scrappy fats that I have left. So drippings off of beef or the top off of like chicken broth, schmaltz. I think you said that was called. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or like I have a couple pints of fat that I, when I made head cheese last year, then, you know, there's a ton of fat on the top of that and I skimmed it all off and it made several pint jars. So I used that. So it was like head cheese, mayo. <laughs> What's you know the what I mean? <laughs> fat that you used from the freezer or had you kept it in the fridge yeah. all that time? No, it was in the freezer. <clears throat> Excuse okay. me. It was in the freezer and I, <clears throat> sorry, I um, melted it on the stove. So when I make mayo, I just try to melt it at a really low temp mm. and I get it barely melted. And then I scoot, I turn the heat off or no, wait, I prefer to say I kill the heat, as Aaron says. Okay. Uh, so I kill the heat and then I mix in more it's very fat. dynamic and just, of you. <laughs> and then I just stir it until it all melts. And that's kind of my way of keeping it cool. Yeah. And then yeah. I, I'm always in a rush. So I then immediately make it into mayo. So. <laughs> so are you using half liquid fat and half that mm. fat or are you using all that fat? Mm. Depends on what I have. This batch, I used all fat fat and didn't use any liquid fat. Okay, that works like that. Because when I, when I, um, a couple of weeks ago, I made uh, mayo for one of the Ancestral Kitchen challenge prompts. 
um, Ooh, and which one? posted it on Instagram. Well, it was the one used fat in a new way because I, I literally oh, haven't yes. made mayo for that. years. Um, mainly because we've you know been focused not on using eggs because Gables has a, an intolerance to them. But right. I missed mayo so much. Mm. And I'd never made it with lard before. Previous times when I've made it, I'd always used liquid at room temperature oil. So mm. olive oil, but that's kind of too strong on its own. In the past, I'd use avocado oil, but we just, we can't get that locally. And I just don't want to do no. that anymore, you know. So olive oil everywhere here. And lard that we home render is really, you know, from pigs that are just around the corner. So mm. I used half lard, half olive oil from the prompt use fat in a new way because it was a new way for me and right. using the mortar and pestle I made mayo and it was it was delicious but I haven't done one that's a hundred percent um you know solid at room temperature fat melted I might try that next thank you yeah I mean it does get thicker in the fridge um more like scoop off a piece and spread it but yeah um I would also say if somebody's intimidated by making mayo, oh, Aaron does have a cooking class they can take. And he told me that mayonnaise mm -hmm. is in that class. But mm -hmm. also um, use a fat that's solid at room temp because <laughs> even mm. if you break your mayo, it doesn't matter. <laughs> ah, It'll actually okay. still be pretty good. Okay. Yeah, someone actually asked me that. Does it not go solid in the fridge but because our lard is quite spreadable and it was only 50% lard well yeah liquid. my exactly my um pork fat when I take it out of the fridge is pretty thick like I can scoop it with a spoon and it'll stand up in it right mm -hmm. but then when you mix it with the eggs even yeah. if you don't think about it in terms of mayo as emulsified even if you just think about it in terms of you know that much water weight being mixed yeah. with the fat um it becomes a very nice consistency. It's beautiful mm. and delicious. And it's so a good you way put to in, use up scraps. Yeah. You put in the fat and the eggs. Mm -hmm. Do you put whole eggs or just yolks? I do the whole egg. Whole egg, okay. And then what else did you add? Uh, salt, that's it. Salt, okay. So no vinegar, no lemon juice, none of that. Sometimes I do. No I mean, it just depends on my mood, I what guess. What you've got around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you mix that in with your eggs and made yep. a kind of a... Um, and parboiled yeah, egg, egg salad spread. Yeah. Nice. And I threw in some pickles that we canned in the summer and made a egg salad. So I made that a couple of days ago and I just mm -hmm. have a, you know, bathtub of that in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> you have a fridge, which is just <laughs> egg salad. <laughs> yeah, that's coming up. So then I just put some of that on my nice, warm, toasted, salty fried oh, bread and ate it with a fork. It was really good. I wow. thought it would be weird to have cold egg salad for breakfast, you know, in mm. my head that sounded weird, but it was really good. I think once you get used to that kind of thing, I remember when I was very much younger, someone made me some tuna for breakfast and mm. I was like, what? Tuna? Breakfast? This is, this guy's like crazy. <laughs> but now I eat anything for breakfast, really. You know, stock. Yeah. Fat, whatever. I guess in my Bring head, on. breakfast is hot, you know? Ah, okay. I see. Like warm. Maybe because it's cold and it's early. Anyway, yeah, what did you, you have snow. for lunch? I'm assuming you had um, lunch. Yeah, yeah, I did. I um, have to think about this. I had, um, I made some kind of a one pot in the cast iron dish with beef mince from our farmer. Nice. So I started off with melting lardo in the bottom. I chopped up some of our lardo that we home cured. 
and put it in the bottom of the cast iron pan and let it um, melt and give off its fat. Mm. And, and then is this I the put herbed in, one. Yeah, yeah this is the herbed one. Yeah, with rosemary oh. and juniper berries and salt and various other things that turned out really well. Um, interesting, I've got another recipe for a different type of lardo from the north of Italy, which I'm getting some lard. Um, on, I'm getting some fat on Saturday and I'm going to try this method, which is preserving it under water in a brine. So I'm quite excited Whoa. about doing that Saturday. Anyway, this was the old lardo, which I did um, like you would bacon. You know, I covered it in the cure. And so I fried that up and then I put in um, a chopped red onion and cumin mm. seeds and coriander. Quite a lot of coriander. I was in a coriander mood. Of course. <laughs> and then I broke up the mince, beef mince, and put it in. Cooked Is that beef mince so it, what we call ground beef over here? Yeah, ground beef, yeah. I think I like, like beef mince better. Beef sounds mince, nicer. yeah. Yeah, beef <laughs> mince. I put that in and uh, made sure it was browned kind of through. And then I just looked in the vegetable drawer in the in the fridge and see saw what was left. And it's kind of cabbage season over here. Um I kind of don't think of all of those green vegetables as cabbages because in English they have different names. You know, they have cauliflower, mm -hmm. which comes from the French, mm -hmm. and there's um, cavolo nero, you know, kale, which we would call kale, mm -hmm. and then there's obviously cabbage, but they all have different names, whereas in Italian they're all cavolo, all of them. You know, the, the mm. cavolo nero, the little cavolo, the, the Brussels sprouts are cavolo, cavolini, little, <laughs> little cabbages. So everything is called wow. cabbage. Um, so there was a a green cabbage, a bit of savoy cabbage, and then I had some leaves from a cauliflower. I don't like to throw away the leaves because they're they're good. So um, chopped them up really small, put them all in with the, um, the mince and the onions, a bit of garlic, um, and stirred it round, put a lid on the cast iron pan and just had it cooking there slowly for about 45 minutes. Wow. So then the cabbage goes already soft, the flavours of the cumin and the coriander and the lard kind of carries those flavours through the mince. It's really nice. We had that. And then I, I have an incredible amount of rye bread in the house at the moment because I am working on um, a rye sourdough bread course for the fermentation school. Yes. And I am testing recipes. So I have made... Like my freezer is full of rye bread because I make <laughs> one and then I, I cut it in half and we eat half and then mm -hmm. I put the other half in the freezer because we haven't got time to eat it before I make another one. Oh, <laughs> so, it's so hard, Alison. I know. <laughs> I feel so sorry rye bread everywhere. <laughs> so we had some rye bread with, um, with lard spread on the top. And then we had a new beer, which I've been quite excited about making mm. for a while, which is instead of using rye, I used spelt. It took me a while to get back to spelt beer because I couldn't find any spelt that sprouted. But I got hold right. of some and we made the malt with the spelt. And then I had been reading about um, heather, the plant heather, which is called erica Ooh. in Italian. And how that has historically been used in meads and in England in beers. So I thought, well, I mean, that okay. makes sense. It's, isn't it everywhere there? Exactly. It's everywhere. Like a weed? Yeah. So I went to the um, Herboriceria here, the herbal shop, and I bought some Erica, and I put it in the beer. I had no idea what I'm doing. I, just, I, put, I said to Rob, should I put a cup in? Yeah, it looks a bit too much. Okay, let's just do half a cup. So I put a half a cup in. And it's given the spelt beer a really beautiful kind of floral um, flavour, 
and the fact that it's spelt beer, I prefer it to rye beer. Just really lovely, really? and it's carbonated beautifully. So we had, um, yeah, the mints and the bread with the lard on, and some beer, little glass of beer on the side. Mm. What does sun. Heather taste like? That's a really good question, and it it's got a bitter edge to it. So you don't taste the bitter at the beginning. You taste the bitter kind of towards the ed- end. But it's got a sweet kind of um, light honey flavour. Honey's the only word I could use, wow. really. I mean, they make heather honey. It's quite a popular thing. Um, oh. It's it's sweet and floral, but then it's got a bitter tang at the end. It's lovely. Hmm. I wonder if it grows out here. I feel like... Our climate is similar enough that if it came out here and mm. it's not native, it would probably be pretty invasive, but I have no idea. It grows in Italy as well, because this heather came from Italy. It was dried from the herbalist, but oh. it, it's Italian heather. So okay. um, I think it should I think it should grow where you are. Maybe it's one of those things, like Stephanie said, there's versions of it yeah. all over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to do well, it with, that fresh, delicious. with fresh heather, but it was lovely. Yeah, really, really Is nice. Is beer like grain broth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it's, it's, it's grain broth, but it's, um, it's probiotic grain broth, isn't it? Because, right. you know, it's, right. there's, a, there's a beautiful transformation going on in the process that is mm. eating those sugars and changing it into um, bubbles and all the kind of side things that come from it. Um, wow. Can you imagine so, how boring this podcast would be if we were – into fasting all the time. Like, <laughs> what did you, what have? Did you eat? Mm, I didn't water. have anything. <laughs> <Water>. Again. <laughs> and then I smelled lavender. <laughs> yeah. No, we, our breakfast section wouldn't be as wouldn't be as varied. Be boring. Would be over. Instead We'd have more of time asking, to talk what about did other you things. Eat? <laughs> How long did you fast for? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, yeah. let's talk about food again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Why not? That's a good idea. Yeah, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today, which we haven't actually, neither of us had any to eat, which I is know. unusual. I was actually surprised when I looked at my own breakfast. I thought, oh, this is like the one time I don't actually have it in my breakfast. Yeah. So we are <laughs> going to talk about stock today. Mm. And um, in our preparations for the episode, Nourishing Traditions, the cookbook by Sally Fallon Morel came in. And there's a million stocks in there, like stocks I'd never imagined oh, yeah. even existed. I'm like, why am I not making these stocks? <laughs> but <laughs> uh, as with that book, there are so many footnotes and quotes and things from medical books and also things from fiction um, that are used in the in the sides, in the margins. And I thought I'd start by reading one of them that struck me when I was um, looking through the stock chapter to get us going. So you ready? I am always ready. Yeah. So this is by um, John Thorne. It's from some, a publication called The Outlaw Cook. And mm. he says, American cooking, tumbling as fast as it is towards a totally takeout cuisine, retains two potent images that can still revivify our appetite for good homemade food. Baked goods, which stand for the gift of pleasure, and meat-based broths, from which all the kitchen's healing goodness flows. Wow. Not too long ago, this image reflected a truth, a continuous river of broth spilled from the stockpot to inspirit soups, enhance pasta and rice, baste the roast, sauce the vegetables and provide a sop for the bread. 
And most important of all, its aroma filled the house, cosseting all who inhaled it with deep well-being, as if the very air were filled with nurture. The chef may have transmogrified his meat waters into gold. The housewife transmuted them into a far more essential nutrient, love. Oh, I, think that's I love lovely. that. <laughs> and I, I found it interesting that he talks about the smell, because I, I like the smell of stock, but I know a lot of people don't, and some people try to, to make their stock in a way that it doesn't smell the house what? out. But I like the smell of stock in our house, just like a lot yeah. of lard cooking. I was thinking the other day when I cook stock overnight and, you know, wake up and there's like yeah. condensation on the windows because it's cold <laughs> outside. And I thought to myself, hey, it's like a humidifier. It's like a chicken humidifier, <laughs> kind of some bonus benefits in the air. And it feels so good when you've been outside and it's cold and you walk in and just this wall of... yeah meat stock aroma hits you as you go in the door. It smells so good. In yeah. Sally Fallon's book that I have at my side, Nourishing Broth, mm -hmm. she also, as you know, pulls from <laughs> literature. Mm -hmm. And it is funny, Alison, can you think of how many times you have heard somebody mention broth in literature? Like it's, it's all over yeah. the place. Yeah. So she says in here, in his satire, The Frogs, playwright <clears throat> Aristophanes had Dionysus asked Heracles if he'd ever felt a sudden urge for soup and our hero replied soup 10,000 times so far <laughs> <laughs> so we've got an advertisement for broth all the way back <laughs> wow incredible and that's what's so essential about broth that it's mm -hmm. been used for centuries and centuries yeah. and centuries by so many traditions you know mm -hmm. you go I, I remember listening to a, a podcast recently by um, Judy Smith and she was interviewing a, a lady um, who'd written a book on Galilean food you know the the tradition of a long time ago and how the broth was very much part of that so mm -hmm. many traditions have the same ritual had the same way of using broth and I think it's astounding that it's something that just literally touches so many cultures and so many parts of the world and it is born out of the easiest way to cook something yeah. which is to have a container yeah. over a fire here in the house you know at the like we have these built-in redundancies for power and energy and heat and cooking and things like that. And <clears throat> the most basic of them all is that we can put a kettle on top of the wood stove downstairs and, you know, and mm -hmm. shove sticks in the stove. <laughs> mm. Like you don't need a turning spit or an oven, yeah. you know, and baking ovens weren't even very common yeah. in the average household, even until the last hundred years. So, um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's been so historic and it's been mm -hmm. so popular because it's so you can easy throw to like cook. A, you can put a squirrel in a pot, you know, and everybody <laughs> yeah. can get some. Yeah, <laughs> Whereas yeah. if you're trying to part out the squirrel, there's not much to go around. Yeah, definitely. It's um that. <laughs> I was talking to someone <laughs> about cooking squirrel yesterday, actually, weirdly. Oh dear. Um I think that, you know, it's when I think about, you know, why is stock so popular? Well, I, I know why I like it, because it brings so much flavour 
to all of the other things that I make in the kitchen. You know, whether it's something as simple just as, oh, I'm boiling up some millet or some rice. And if I put stock in it rather than just water, it's going to taste so much better. Right through to the other end where, you know, chefs will reduce it and reduce it and reduce it into a kind of a dew and then use it as a, a very sparing sauce for a, for a um, you know, five-star dish. It's mm-hmm. so, it just carries flavour incredibly in such depths. So I think that's, that's the reason I like it. But obviously I like mm-hmm. it as well because I get bones for next to nothing and I'm cooking up <laughs> something that's incredibly nutrient-dense for nothing and also I love the fact that those bones well what's going to happen to them just really going to get thrown away if I don't use them so it's it's zero waste if you eat a whole pig and you use all the bones for stock you you're literally not going to have any waste it's so economical from the perspective of these days you know when people ask well what can I do to to start with an ancestral diet on a budget I don't have much money bones cost next to nothing yep and they are they were a beautiful thing and a nutrient especially if thing. you can find somebody who butchers if you have friends who go deer hunting i i don't i think nobody ever saves the bones i'm like what mm. <laughs> like save those yeah. bones so ask them can you save me the bones <laughs> yeah definitely i think that you know building relationships like that you can find bones for either three mm-hmm. or next to nothing yeah so it's just it, it's a it's a wonderful food and it and it it plays out on how important it's been through all of the cultures you know through time for sure um I wondered if we could focus a bit on the health benefits and I think could maybe we? you <laughs> you know more than me I mean I know that it's full of minerals and they're in a form that is really easy for our body to use. I know that it includes gelatin, which is, you know, super healing for us. And I know that its proteins don't have a lot of the toxic problems that other proteins do. Mm-hmm. And I know it's got glycine in it, which is anti-inflammatory and helps you produce your gastric secretions to help you digest, helps with your liver. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I bet that Sally Fallon book on nourishing broths just has tons of information on the health benefits of chapter after chapter. Yes. There's so much packed in here that I'm not even going to try to um, bring it all on here. But something that everybody is talking about now is collagen, collagen supplements, Mm. hydrolyzed collagen, gelatin, gelatin powders, you know, and part of why we're buying these powders and working so hard to bring them into our homes is because the massive proportion of broth-based foods that would be the normal part of a diet of a um, omnivore like us Mm -hmm. is gone. And so people think of like when somebody says, oh, what do you do with a gallon of broth? How in the world are you going to use a gallon of broth? I'm just thinking like, what, what do you, what, what do you mean? Like, mm. what do you mean? How will I use it? Because <laughs> if everybody in the house is drinking a pint and if you make soup, like you said, you make rice or you cook noodles, mm-hmm. um, I, our dogs usually get a quart in their bowl in the evening. Yeah. Um, each of them. And sometimes they'll pour out a bowl for the cats too. (laughs) 
<laughs> and um, that's not even doing anything fun. That's just the basics. Yeah. You've already yeah. torn through a gallon there. And now let's talk about, you know, boiling it down to make cubes or making, you know, cocoa out of it or something like that. Like there's just so much you can do. Um, collagen, of course, is necessary for anti-aging, right? Like we see collagen yeah. breakdown in our body when our skin kind of sags and gets less, less elastic and our ligaments and our bones also, and our cartilage, you know, all that popping and snapping and everything snap, crackle, pop. <laughs> and, yeah. um, we have all heard of the popular supplements. Everybody says you should take glucosamine and chondroitin. And those are two of the ingredients you need in your body to produce collagen. That's why they're so important to take. But if you are actually drinking bone broth, you're getting a broader spectrum than just two of the components you need. There are 29 or more, there could be more distinct types of collagen in animal tissues. So when you have, like you said, Sally Fallon has a broad range of broths in her book. You know, there's just, just from the basic animals, you can have fish broth, chicken broth, beef broth, pork broth, right? And just mm. getting that variety in um, will, you know, increase your range of collagens you're getting. Um, there's um, type, there's different types of collagen. Like I said, the five most common ones, types one through five, all do different things. Um, there's type three collagen that builds up the walls of your arteries and your organs. Mm -hmm. And there's type four that ensures the health of cell basement membranes. This is all in Sally's book, um, Nourishing Broth, um, which is just as glorious <laughs> as nursing traditions, except it's mm -hmm. just about broth. Mm -hmm. um, there's type five, which is used to build a healthy placenta during pregnancy. And, you know, like we, we don't think about this when we just get a container yeah. of collagen. We're like, Oh, I just need a collagen. Um, I'll, I'll see if it's grass fed, you know, that's good. They do that. Don't not do that, but also make broth, please. <laughs> it's what cheap. does, it's what easy. does broth mean to you and your family health wise? What do you feel you get from it? Well it started for us, like you alluded to this in the budget sense earlier, but it started for us as a great way to get protein and to kind of fill bellies yeah. for a decent price, you know, yeah. because it's pretty inexpensive. And out here, it, it really does feel zero waste because, you know, we use the bones, we make the broth, then I usually cook them again, sometimes up to three more times, just getting a weaker and weaker broth, which I'll use for different things, either, you know, mixing up animal food for the, for the critters outside or, um, cooking noodles in like a watery broth, you know? Yeah. And the spent bones our dogs eat, they just crush them completely. Mm -hmm. Like they literally eat them. So there's nothing left wow. when we're done with an animal. Um, and it, it really does feel zero waste. And then we can also give bones. Um, we give bones to the birds as well and they peck at them and get any last little scrap they can out of them. So Gosh. 
Yeah. So they get totally used up um, and everybody gets, you know, what they need and what they want out of it. Yeah. Um, my yeah. husband always told the kids that broth makes them really strong and really fast. So they would drink a cup of broth and then they'd sprint across the yard. Look how fast <laughs> I am now. <laughs> so they ask for it. They're like, can we have some of that to make us fast, please? <laughs> for me, I think it feels really comforting. Like, you know, if my mm-hmm. tummy feels a bit kind of funny and I don't, not yeah. sure I want to eat, I, I will have broth. And in addition to that, it just the warm kind of fatty depth of flavor with a bit of salt in Mm -hmm. is it's just so comforting you can see why kind of chicken stock and chicken stock based soup is a a kind of that traditional particularly Jewish kind of idea of Mm -hmm. you know if you're ill bring some chicken soup which is obviously made with chicken broth because it it's something that feels medicinal when you're drinking it you know even if you didn't know what the components were in it 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 has that kind of nourishing feel to it well and it's important you alluded back to this and this would also make sense if you're sick and your digestive system is having a harder time functioning because now you're also trying to operate other systems on overdrive but with bone without without the complete spectrum of the animal you don't do as well with the muscle meat your body has a harder yeah. time digesting it. And I know there's people who say, you know, there's numbers out there like, you know, hey, have muscle meat at least twice a week, a week, organ meat at least once a week and bone broth at least five times a week or something like that. Mm. And I always joke in my head to myself when I see Meatless Mondays thing, I say like, yeah, Meatless Monday today, it's only awful. Yeah, <laughs> only bone broth. Today. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. No That's a really important meat. point because you don't necessarily need to have meat every day. Even if you have the money, no, you don't no. have to. But having stock included in your diet daily can bring you so many mm-hmm. more benefits mm-hmm. than just muscle meat can on its own at about a tenth of the price. Yeah. And less. when they say nose to tail eating, if you have an entire animal in your freezer and you cycle through all the parts of that animal, you'll get the the good proportion that you need. You know, you'll get mm. a good muscle amount. You'll get a lot of bone broth you'll get, Mm. you know, the more muscle meat you have, the more awful you have because the organs proportionately grow. And so everything kind of balances itself out. Yeah. I mean, that's not a scientific statement right there. That's just (laughs) what I've observed. The rhythms that you've experienced. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think um, we've started talking a little bit about the practicalities. Before we dive into, you know, how you can prepare and how we prepare, I wanted to try to clarify if we can what difference there is if there's any difference between bone broth and meat stock because I know that confuses quite a few people who come to ancestral eating because some people call broth broth some people call it stock some people say meat stock um what's your understanding of the difference between broth and stock and including or not including the words bone and meat well I have asked a number of professional chefs their opinion just to see what they'll say Mm. and usually the answer I get the most often is you're splitting hairs. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish that I had asked Aaron before we got on this, but mm. we'll see what he says. Um, if his culinary school gave him a definition, I've looked it up many times. And my understanding mm. and Joe Witten on Quirky uh, yeah. 
cooking gives a really good definition in one of her episodes. I will see if I can find the number and put it in the show notes, but she actually defines each one and meat stock is lots of meat, some bones, bone broth is just bones, a little meat, maybe, um, and some marrow possibly. Yeah. I feel like she said a third one, but I can't remember what it was. See, that's what I think it's the Italian tradition that's slightly confusing me because brodo is broth in Italian. And generally it's made by boiling the meat and the bones together. And then you use the broth to have your first course with. So you maybe make some tortellini Mm. and cook it in the broth. Delicious. And then you serve the meat for secondi for the main course with vegetables Mm. so i think the fact that brodo sounds like broth because it starts with br kind of confused me because usually we say bone broth so i think like you said splitting hairs really but i think the main difference that that when i came to realize there was there was a difference was when we did the gaps diet the gut and psychology syndrome diet because at the beginning of that healing as part of that diet um Natasha Campbell McBride suggests using meat stock, not she bone does. broth, yeah. because it's gentler. And so I think that's yeah. really where I first thought, okay, there actually is a, a chemical, you know, difference mm-hmm. in the composition, whether you put mostly meat in there or whether you put yeah. um, bones in there. So and that may be important. a definition that we've had to create in our modern time since we are healing our gut lining, which is less common of a thing to have had to do in years past, not saying that everybody had a healthy gut, just saying that they probably weren't trying to heal it. And I think Joe does say on her episode that meat stock is cooked for a pretty short time, whereas bone broth to really truly qualify would have to be over six hours or something like that. Mm. And, and I am just guessing And I can infer this from chewing the fat that when people were making broth, they were just throwing in whatever they had on hand and whatever was available. They weren't really parsing between the two. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, Okay. So usually I'm Allison. So I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the um, actual practicalities of it. So when we, when we say stock or broth, or bone broth, we're talking really about beef, um, any other kind Mm -hmm. of cattle, chicken, duck, birds, um, pork, fish, and of course, vegetable. Um, I've made all of those, not um, some of them not so often. The main stocks that I make now are beef and chicken, um, but I have made all of them in the past. Um, And all of those, really any bones, like you said, squirrel, (laughs) <laughs> any bones and any meat can make a stock. Um, and they, I um, I kind of made a list of all the practicalities that I thought we should cover. Um, I'll start with the equipment because I know perhaps that you use different equipment to me. I don't have an Instapot, so I don't use that. I use my slow cooker for all of my stocks now. But in the past, I have used a very large saucepan on the um, hob. I prefer mm-hmm. to use my slow cooker because it can go much lower than I can control that pot on the hob. And Mm. I know it's important really to have that water as low as possible for a long time. I remember somewhere, I don't know where, reading that 
really you should hardly see it bubbling. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't see yeah. it like a simmer with bubbles coming up all the time. You shouldn't mm-hmm. really notice bubbles coming up very often. Um, so my slow cooker, slow cookers vary. And the one that I had prior to this one ran warmer than this one. And that pleases me, this new one, because I can put it down on low and it actually is low. And so I leave my chicken stock or my beef stock in there for a very long time at a very, very low temperature. Um, do you use your Instant Pot for stock or do you do your stock some other way, Andrea? I don't really use the Instant Pot for stock, okay. although I have before mm. and you can, I suppose. I couldn't tell you from a, like you said, a chemical or molecular standpoint mm. if there's benefits or pros or cons to that. I usually do it on the stove <clears throat> mainly because of power i i used to use the slow cooker for broth mm-hmm. also like you said mm-hmm. but it takes an awful lot of power and so i just put it on the stove i now in each house it has changed and you know how that mm-hmm. is allison every time you move yeah, yeah. and and you have to figure out but i now know which pot and okay. how full how much yep. meat and how much water or how yep. much bones can sit for how long. And my preferred mode is to, I have to use my heaviest bottomed kettle on the smallest burner we have on the lowest setting. Mm -hmm. And if it's, Mm -hmm. if it's got enough bones in it, maybe three quarter full, and then the water all the way full, I can set it on the back Mm -hmm. there and turn it on usually when I'm fixing dinner. And then in the morning, when I get up and I make um, breakfast, I shut it off and it cools. And then sometime, okay. usually after we finish um, school and lunch, then I strain it. So okay. that's a nice routine. That's kind of my, yeah, that's kind of my routine. It just fits with my day pretty well. Our one is slight, is a bit later than yours and that usually I put mine on before going to bed and uh-huh. then I leave it until lunch the next day. Okay. And we'll drink it at lunch. And then just after lunch, I'll turn it off and it cools. Yeah. And then by the time it gets to tea time, like five or six, it's ready to strain, just Perfect. about cold enough to go in the fridge or freezer by the time we go to bed. Yeah. So we have the same, mm. probably exact same hour, <laughs> hours to hours. Yeah. yeah. I just start mine earlier in the day and yeah. take it off earlier. What do you That's put funny. in with your bones? Do you have particular things that you like to put in with particular bones? How how do you play that? Mm, it's very much based on what I have. I don't usually... Uh, well, for fun, I like to get Sally's book out and try her recipes just because I want to try them all. <laughs> but mm. most of the time, I would say 85% of the time at least, is just throwing in what I have. So if I... Well, if I also sort of do stock if I know that, like, say I'm going to chop a whole bunch of carrots and onions and celery and freeze them, then I'm also planning to do a stock because I'll have all those bits to throw in. But I also throw them into a container or a bag and shove it in the freezer too. And then um, if I'm making stock, sometimes I think, oh yeah, I've got that bag of scraps in there. So sometimes I throw in veggie scraps, herb scraps, you know, if we're harvesting and drying a bunch of herbs, then um, I throw all the bones. What do you call them? Not bones um, from the herbs, like the stems. The stalks, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll throw those in. 
sometimes I, sometimes not always, I do apple cider vinegar and let it sit for half an hour before I cook it. Mm-hmm. That helps draw out but the minerals. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't yep. always remember to do that either. Yeah. Do you ever roast your bones before you put them in there? Yeah, I do. I, I just prefer the flavor myself. Hmm. I, so my chicken is usually cooked when I get yeah. the bones because I usually cook it, shred the meat off and then use the bones. Okay. So um, you don't roast those again. You've already roasted the chicken. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, I don't. Sometimes okay. if I'm feeling snazzy, I'll throw some fat in the pan and uh, toast them in the yeah. saucepan before I add the water. Um, beef, I feel like beef and pork just taste better to me if they were roasted. Okay. So I often roast those first, almost and always. How how long do you roast them for and what kind of temperature? Oh, um, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just, just put them just in and stick then stick them in a you remember. pretty quick <laughs> oven. So pretty hot, uh, probably between 370 and 425. Okay. And until I smell them or think about yeah. it, and you think of them, so probably, <laughs> yeah, probably forty-five minutes or so. Okay, I don't okay, know, I'm going to try that. You know, because I've never roasted bones before making a stock. Um, oh, but I, I have heard. I feel like it the, brings out the umami a little bit more. Yeah, I've heard it's really nice. So I just never get to it, but I, um, I shall make a special effort to do that. Because I want mm. to taste the difference. I might find well, that, it's, you know, I never go back. That can go on one of your, like, make a new kind of broth challenges yeah, or something. Exactly. <laughs> so I kind of do similar things to you. You know, I keep scraps and then just okay. like I pile up bones. You know, I have bags of yeah. bones in the freezer always. And then they come out and um, get made into stock together. I do that with um, carrot tops and onions and skins and garlic skins and stems mm-hmm. for parsley that kind of thing sometimes I put a bit of kombu in um that doesn't Ooh. really affect the flavor but I've heard that it's really quite good so I've kind of got used to it um and I really do like sometimes I put a whole onion in I don't I never take the skins off because I like the sweetness that the onion imparts right. to the broth so sometimes yeah. I'll just literally throw a whole onion in do you um, quarter it? I mean, if I, no. I sometimes throw in a whole onion too, but I'll cut it in half or something. Oh, you know, I, I just threw, I just literally grab it and throw it in. And Does by the time it's done, it's, no, it doesn't. No, because the skin holds it together because it's got the skin what? on it. Okay. I'm totally doing that. Don't know. Don't need to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to, oh yeah. The thing about the Instapot, not that I have an Instapot, so I don't know, but I have read, mm. I said earlier about people who don't like the smell and apparently you can use the mm. pressure cooker kind of instapot thing to do bones in and so, that means the smell doesn't go through the house but I've never done it yeah and I don't know anyone done so it, if so. you were doing that because you didn't like the smell which is totally fair um but I have I have something to say about that by the way mm. but if you don't like the smell then once your instant pot is done cooking you'd either have to wait a pretty long time for it to naturally yeah, cool down. come down to pressure or mm. step it outside and vent it outside yeah um, otherwise you're going to get all the smell at once at the end. But also I will say this might be helpful for somebody who doesn't like the smell. Mm. I think i may have said this before on here that pork, and we've always bought, um, you know, farm fresh pastured pork. 
I have never been able to stand the smell of pork broth cooking and mm. I've never been able to tolerate the taste of it. I would make it because I had the mm. bones, but then mm. I would hide it in something. Mm. I didn't like it by itself until I got Ooh, pigs from our friends who raised mm. them without soy. And oh. that's the only thing I can think of is the difference. And I don't even know if they're exclusively without soy or if they sometimes had soy, but they mostly didn't have soy. And as usual, I went to make the broth and I was like, okay, this is going to be gross, but just do it. You know, and I couldn't leave the kitchen. It smelled so good. I was so drawn wow. to it. So, and was that with bones or with trotters or that what? That was bones. That was just bones, okay. just plain old bones. So I don't know if that was it, but if somebody's really, really bugged by the smell, possibly they could try tweaking what the animals are fed or finding somebody who feeds them no soy. I think we, just have, to see. we haven't actually talked about that, have we? But, you know, it's, if possible, no. organic bones are ideal. Obviously, there are a lot of farmers who can't afford organic certification. So knowing what the yeah. um, farmer is feeding the animal, because that's going to be part of what makes up its bones. And so the better yeah. feed you can get, and the more natural feed for that animal that you can get, right. the the better. The so more time they can be outside and the more vitamin D and A you'll have in your lard and things like that. And uh, like the animals have to actually be in the sun, you know? <laughs> yeah. So again, I, I really don't know if that's what it was. And I'm going to ask my friend if we can dig in deeper because I would have thought, oh, you know, the pigs I was already getting were really high quality, you know? So I, I know um, that they were raised outside. I've made so pig know. stock a fair bit, not in this country, but in um, England when we used to get trotters all the time. And um, I didn't really like the smell, frankly, or taste of it. Rob just, mm -hmm. he's not as, um, I don't know what the word is. I was going to say discerning, but that's not very nice. No. <laughs> he's not as fussy. It's not as fussy as me. And so he loved the stock and he used to eat the bits that were on the, you know, we used to pull the trotters apart and take all the little bones out, mm -hmm. the toes or whatever's down there, the metatarsals. And he used to eat all the bits around it. But generally I used pork stock. I, I would freeze it in little cubes and then use it in small amounts in other foods because it, it's very strong or well, that particular pork stock was strong and so I found it difficult right. to drink it on its own but as a kind of you know three ice cubes in a big stew it added something without overpowering it so that's hmm. what I'd say about pork maybe it was also the breed of pigs I'm just sitting here thinking maybe it was just Probably. the breed was different I don't know oh I've been reading a lot of stuff about pigs this week which is not yeah. It's going off on too much of a tangent for this episode. But um, yeah, breed of pigs is important, I think. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about fish for a little while because I, um, I used to make fish stock a fair bit when we lived on the coast in Cornwall in England because I lived on a fishing port or near very near a fishing port. Um, mm. And so there were fishmongers around everywhere and I could just go in and say, can I have all your bones? And... This was when we were doing gaps when we lived there. And so I got lots of non-oily fish skeletons with the head still in too. And then just put them all in and um, did it in a, in a similar way, but not cooked for quite as long as I would if I'd done beef. And that, again, is a really strong broth um, because kind of the fish flavour is, for me 
certainly for me, I'm not so used to a fishy broth as I am to a chicken broth. And so tasting it is more of a, a strange experience, you know. But once I got mm-hmm. used to it and once I learned how to use it in fish soups and in, in other kind of fishy dishes, it, it was wonderful. Um, so I think it's easy to kind of be a bit intimidated by fish, um, but it's, it is very, very simple to go to a fishmonger who will just be throwing away those bones, literally, and right. get them, we were getting them for nothing, and make a really beautiful fish stock that you can use as a base for um, mm-hmm. fish soups and, and fish bakes um, with, you know, mashed potato on the top and fish underneath. Um, so, yeah, don't be intimidated by fish stock. That's, I think, the message I want yeah. to put across there, really. Mm-hmm. Do you make fish broth? I don't know. I don't know yeah, how much not fish a you lot. eat. I don't know. Not a yeah. lot recently because we used mm. to – Gary used to fish a lot. And then okay. when we are in Virginia, um, we would get exactly – like you said, people would bring us fish – you know, bones and Gary did a lot of fishing there too. Um, but not recently, although I'd like to do it again. Yeah, so would I. I haven't done it here. Um, but we do have a fish market in Florence. So perhaps at some stage this year, I might be able to go there and pick up some mm. bones and bring them back, which would be nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we talked about the type of bones. We talked about, oh, I wanted to talk about head and feet as well. You know, I said the head's quite important for the fish. Um, I think most people know that for chicken, if you can get the head and the feet, Mm. it will make your broth much more jellyfied, if that's what you want. I know a lot of people make Mm. stock and like, my stock's all runny, what have I done wrong? Now, sometimes it's just you've put too much water in, but Mm. most of the time, the easiest way to gel it is to put feet in. You know, pig trotters make really, really, really gelatinous broth. And if you can get chicken feet and put them in, mm-hmm. that always does the same thing for me. That makes my broth go like jelly, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, quite something to look at, a chicken head and chicken feet <laughs> in a broth. <laughs> yeah, and but, our dogs love those. They, we give them to them once uh, we're done cooking and there's not a bit left. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They love them. Do you, um, do you boil if, your broth? Oh, yeah, go on. Uh, not, well, I don't like to. I mean, it sometimes it boils, but I like to keep it low, like you said. Because some people say boil it, skim off what comes up, and then turn the heat down. Yeah, but I don't do that in the that. slow cooker, obviously. And I wondered whether, because no. you're using a pot, whether you do that. No, you don't. Okay. Not really. I mean, sometimes I throw a bunch of pieces in and then, like I said, like a feather or something. I'm like, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> so I'll skim a little bit if it's, okay. if I feel like it looks like it needs it or if the foam yeah. looks a little dirty or something like that. But not usually. And if somebody is butchering chickens, I'll just sideline here um, or any poultry, birds, ducks, whatever. Um, when you are blanching your chicken to pluck it, then, um, you know, do the feet too. And then once you separate the feet, if you separate the feet from the body, you know, you don't have to, but if you do, um, just peel that skin off and pop off the, there's like nail covers. Um, I've seen people yeah. scrubbing the chicken feet. And I'm just like, what? That sounds like a terrible time and gross. So just get them. It's easier. Okay. And the ones you That's see in the store are skinned. Like they look all sort of pink and clean, you know? Those are skinned. Ours don't look pink and clean. Ours look kind of brown with a nail on the end. <laughs> well, you might be able to skin them then. I don't know. I'd never even thought about that. Yeah. Okay. That's another thing I for me feel, to try. 
like maybe you get more of the goods that way, but maybe not. I don't know. But I just, the, I, I've seen what the chickens walk and I, I'm skinning them. <laughs> yeah, no, that I know that's a question that people ask. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting one. Next time I get some feet, I'm going to look at them. I'll take a picture of two feet side by side. Thank you. That would be really cool. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so uh, before we go into how we eat stock and how you can eat and use stock, I wanted to just kind of sidestep briefly into industrial stock, which is stock cubes, you know, stock powder. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I had a shock about two weeks ago I found a BBC archive of old BBC programs, you know, like go back on the BBC forever, put any search term in it and find you all the programs on that. So, Okay, I want that. Obviously, the first (laughs) one I put in was lard, but after that, (laughs) I put stock in. And um, I found a BBC food program from about 10 years ago about stock. And they talked about how the stock cube developed, how this particular person decided to try and bring the beef extract to the masses and then how it developed into a stock cube. And the presenter went to visit a stock cube factory and I was just astounded. There was just this chaos of noise in the background and he was describing these absolutely huge machines that... um, they take the stock and then make it into a, like a, a dusty extract, a powder, and then they spray this dusty extract in these massive vats and they um, vaporise water at it to make it stick together. And and then there's machines that form it into little cubes. And, and I was just like, what on earth have we done to this, you know? It's just you have your animal and you... In, you know, you respect your animal and you use everything and you use the bones to make stock in your kitchen and you nourish your family with it. And there's all this machines whirring powder at however many miles an hour and spraying water at them in order to make cubes. It just seemed absolutely bonkers to me. And no wonder people are intimidated to make broth. They're like, I don't have a centrifuge <laughs> in my house. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Why do you have to spray water at something while some powder rotates around in a massive machine? You know, I just just put some bones in a pan, and I think that you know industrial stock is not anywhere anything like the stock that we've been talking about making, and historically the stock that has been made by cultures for many many centuries. And would you like to know what's in it? Oh, I'm, you're <laughs> going to tell me, aren't you? <laughs> Go on. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Again, taken from Sally Fallon's book, Nourishing Broths, Weiler's chicken-flavored bouillon cubes. They contain mm. no dried bone stock at all. Here's <laughs> the ingredients list. Plug your ears, Allison. Okay. Okay. Salt, sugar, mechanically separated cooked ground chicken meat, sodium bicarbonate, monosodium glutamate, hydrolyzed corn gluten, malt, corn maltodextrin, onion powder, chicken fat, hydrolyzed corn gluten protein, partially hydrogenated soybean oil, and partially hydrogenated cottonseed oil, autolyzed yeast extract, water, garlic powder, disodium inosinate, disodium guanolate, dextrose, cooked chicken powder, 
natural chicken flavor, hydrolyzed soy protein, calcium, silicate, gelatin, soy lecithin, natural flavor, turmeric, corn syrup, solids, spice, modified cornstarch, silicon dioxide, diacetyl flavor, artificial flavor, tricalcium phosphate, alpha tocopherols antioxidant, corn oil, BHA preservative, propyl gallate, citric acid, BHT preservative. Gosh, hmm. have you finished? There you go. I wasn't <laughs> sure whether we'd have to like, like do two episodes to keep, <laughs> Episode to keep you going. Two, to complete the list. Oh my gosh. And that is a food apparently. No, but it's sold and people eat it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Soylent green. Um, Soylent chicken. So That's how far to me. is that from the beautiful nourishing drink that you just talked about and all of the the health properties in it and the love well, of that think quote about, that we first started talking you're you're sick mm. Allison let's say you're sick and mm. you know that somehow we still have the awareness that broth and chicken broth is what you get when you're sick I don't know why we even still know that and this is what somebody makes for you yeah like inflammation in a kettle <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, it's it's just crazy, and that has been a part of the process mm. of you know simultaneously removing people from the kitchen from the home, and you know increasing profits of something somewhere. You know, that like for whatever reason, Allison, they determined that spraying powder out of the air mm. was more profitable than boiling bones. And that list I just gave you didn't even encompass the toxic sludge that the little bit of chicken that was in there went through yeah, to be processed. Yeah. None of those ingredients even showed up on this list, but they very definitely show up in the finished product of the chicken, as well as the feed that the chickens get during their short lifetime. Gosh, and it's just like a microcosm of what's happened to so many foodstuffs, isn't it? I mean, you, you compare it to bread. Yeah. If you went and read a, a an ingredient list of a bread in a plastic packet oh. in a supermarket, you know, and so think about the process that they use to whip up the bread and and put air bubbles in it it it's mm -hmm. just it's not food it's just not no. food. and anyway, i'm thinking so. about also with the chicken that they used in there uh, like i just keep going backwards in my mind what else what else and yeah. i'm thinking of course they're industrial chickens which grow very very fast and yeah. you and i both know allison and maybe this was part of why i liked that pork broth for my friends because their pigs live a lot longer than most pigs that are like twice as long as most okay. pigs that are raised. And I know with heritage chicken, the reason why a heritage chicken like has to go, you know, 16 to 18 weeks to be mature, to be classified as heritage is partly because they have, they build a much better nutritional network in their body, their organs, you mm -hmm. know, and their collagen and their bones are better. Yeah. Because they built more slowly. That makes sense. Um, so, ooh, crazy. Crazy. Yeah, you can go back endlessly in each of those, can't you? Each of the ingredients. It's just, it's bonkers. Anyway, yeah, let's, could, let's go back to the good <laughs> stuff. 
and talk about... <laughs> That's um, enough about that. Let's talk about how we can use proper stock and how both of us use proper stock in our houses. So the first one is just to drink it. I mean, we drink stock on its own and mm-hmm. with meals. Like you said, it's really good to um, drink it with... Um, when you're eating muscle meat because it provides extra things mm-hmm. that the muscle meats don't provide and helps yeah, you digest you those it. aminos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I like to drink it on its own, sometimes as a snack, sometimes just instead of supper if I'm not really that hungry and I've eaten quite a lot that day. Um, I just, I love to drink it with on its own with a, perhaps a pinch of salt. Sometimes um, we had Stephanie on the... Um, on the Patreon feed talking about herbalism and then we're coming up with another episode from um, uh, a lady in South Africa who also does a lot with herbs and yeah yeah, a lot of them use herbs in their broth so I think that's something that if you're drinking it you can add Mm. to the medicinal benefits of the stock by putting in herbs that have additional benefits and that will flavor them as well um i think ira said she puts them in when she first starts her stock but you know you could also Mm. just put your stock on the stove and warm it up with additional herbs in which would be just just as nice yeah exactly um just because i tend to make a big batch and leave it pretty neutral and because then with each day i you can make it something otherwise i get sick of it (laughs) yeah i totally agree i totally agree so I use mine, as I said, to cook um, millet in, to cook sorghum in, to cook other grains that we use. I use it for um, soups. I use it for stews. Sometimes if I'm making a stew with meat that's got a bone in it, I'll just put water in my stew because there's bones already in that meat. But if I'm doing a meat that's um, like a diced um, beef or something that doesn't have bones in it, I will often use half stock, half water, sometimes even all stock in those stews. Mm -hmm. Um, I explained how Italians use it earlier on, which is they cook up the meat and the bones together and then they use that stock to cook pasta in and then they use the meat to eat separately. Um, I've never actually done it like that, but I I hope to sometime. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing, which I don't do quite so much, but I know you do, is making gravy. and I know <laughs> restaurants do that. Obviously, they make a reduction of the stock. Um, and there's, you know, there's two methods. You can reduce it and reduce it and reduce it and make a reduction. Or you can add flour. I don't do that very often. Maybe you could talk about how you make gravy with your stock, Andrew, because I know you do that more than I do. Yeah. So just put a little fat in the pan. I mean, I, I don't know measurements because I don't know how much you want to make or how big your pan is. But mm. put some fat in the pan and then you can sprinkle in whatever flour you want. It could be... Um, uh, einkorn or, or wheat or I guess just about any flour, I, you know, gluten-free mm-hmm. flours work too. Mm-hmm. And whisk it, toast it, you know, just kind of get it nice and brown. And then I just, as I'm whisking it on, you know, a medium heat or so, then I just start pouring in broth slowly and whisking it in as, okay. and it just thickens up and you can pour in some cream or milk or, um, tomato sauce or I you can really do whatever you want at this point and just make it into a thick sauce you can mix in cheese or cream cheese or sour cream or um, and usually I put in some salt you can put in herbs or essential oils or herbed salt <laughs> mm-hmm. and yes. then yeah and then you can um often will mix in minced meat 
<laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> or shredded meat. Um, and you can serve that over, um, rice or pasta or just by itself or uh, cooked greens or whatever, or with some bread on the side, dip it all up. Um, or you can just make a thick gravy. And then sometimes I'll make a thick gravy if I've got a big kettle of soup on the stove and mm-hmm. kind of turn it into a stew, you know, make it more chunky and yeah. thick and, um, you're reminding like me that. of a recipe that I wrote up on mm. on my site last year, which is a sourdough discard soup, which yeah, is cooking up lots that. of veg and then putting yeah. the stock in and then having some sourdough discard and literally, you know, tempering it slowly with a bit of stock so it doesn't, you know, go exactly. split so and then so you don't have pouring um, it in. So it's a similar thing. Yeah. And you, you could use sourdough discard to make gravy, you know. Yeah. Um, what it, What are those noodles called the german noodles um, um i can never i always forget the name the I don't know why. but like you know you make your batter and then you pour it in a colander with ah, big yeah, holes yeah. Over your soup you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 no i've seen um kobo <laughs> fermentary so do them on instagram but i wonder if you could do that i guess Australia. you could do that with your sourdough discard yeah no that would work i think mm. So you you also drink the broth slightly differently. I've heard you saying you you know you've put coconut oil in it and you you poach eggs in it sometimes. Talk about other ways that you use broth. Okay. Well, I like having broth in the morning because it's just a really easy fast breakfast and that was one thing that I was finding one of my sticking spots in the day was I wasn't getting breakfast soon enough because I couldn't get it together. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't get it together <laughs> quick enough. I can once I eat, then I actually start everybody else's breakfast because I usually still mm-hmm. sleep. Um, so I'll just heat up like a a pint or a quart or whatever. Sometimes I heat up a quart and then have it at lunch too. And I add salt. And then sometimes, yeah, when it's hot, I'll I'll crack a couple eggs into a small bowl and then I lower it really close to the broth and yeah. slip the eggs in and they stay together really nice that way. Don't do the whole spinny thing. <laughs> we talked about that on another podcast, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. I still can't wrap my head around it. Um, sometimes I'll mix in some rice noodles if I have them. Don't usually have them, but if I do, you can just put in like a couple of rice noodles and they cook yeah. just even after the stove is off, they just yeah. kind of melt really quick. Um, I don't know. I just usually open the fridge and I see what I have. I throw all kinds of things in. Sometimes I put in like chunks of cheese rind or... Um, a sauerkraut, uh, mm. jalapenos. Um, mm. I'm just trying to think what I usually have sitting in the fridge. It's just based on whatever I have. So, um, I might start at thinking I'm just going to have broth and salt, and then I'm like, oh, I'll throw this in. And then by the yeah. time I'm done, I put in six different things. Yeah. And you've got a wonderful inventive soup. Yeah. It's just whatever strikes the fancy. Let's talk a bit about freezing because I know we talked about freezing on, um, uh, patron podcast, one of okay. the kitchen table chats, we but we, you had a lot to share that was really useful for me. So briefly before we finish, let's talk about um, how you freeze your stock because it's really beneficial to hear your experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I usually let it cool down on the stove before I strain it. So it's not boiling hot, but it's not cold. It's just warm. If it's too cold, you can't strain it. And then once I strain it, I like to move it to the fridge and chill it. And then move it to the freezer and freeze it. 
And it is important, the containers you use. I get probably <laughs> almost every day somebody says that they broke a jar freezing in it. So um, I will link to my post on Instagram about freezing in jars. And uh, the important thing is, as I think I said in our recording before, not just the shoulder of the jar, because people will say overfilled it, but not just the shoulder of the jar, but the heel of the jar and the curve on the bottom and the inside of the jar as well. And those are too pronounced in most, not all, but most quart-sized jars. And so you can't freeze in those typically. There are brands. Kilner is one that have a straight heel and, and no shoulder at the top. Mm. And you can freeze in those. So okay, that's what's if important. you are, mm -hmm. if you're in the U S and you're freezing in Mason jars, the wide mouth pint is great. The wide mouth, which is the only opening they have for this size of jar pint and a half is great for freezing in. None of the quarts are acceptable for freezing in the Mason brand or ball brand, I should say. Um, and then they have smaller sizes too, but what's the point in freezing four ounces yeah. of broth? Do you fill your broth so, up to the top of the jar? No, How I far? don't. So I used to fill the jars. There actually is on most ball jars, there's actually a freeze line marked. Ah, okay. Um, not helpful. all of them have it. Depends on what year they're manufactured, but... I fill them. I leave just the same headspace as I usually do in canning, like inch and a half. And then I used to set them in the freezer and let them freeze solid and then put a cap on them the next day. But now I'm confident enough in how full I can fill them that I just put the I cap see. on, label it and freeze them. Okay. And how long do you keep them for in the freezer? <laughs> oh, it depends. Usually not very long. Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, with most frozen foods, the nutritional quality starts to degrade at about six months, mm, mm. but, um, uh, safety wise, it's still fine for probably, I guess a long time, but it does start to degrade after a while. So yeah, I don't think we've ever kept any longer than six months. Yeah, just usually we use it. Usually if I'm freezing it, it's so that I have pints or smaller containers on hand that I can give to a mom when she has a baby. Um, because we tend to go through it pretty quickly that it doesn't usually yeah. even make it to the freezer. So Yeah, I don't often put mine in the freezer. And um, we've got three mm -hmm. jars in the fridge at the moment, um, liter, and I will use those um, within the next week yeah. probably. Yeah. Do you skim your fat before you freeze? You said you kind of, earlier you said you freeze your fat separately. So I'm assuming mm -hmm. you take it off before you freeze it. Yeah, sometimes I do if there's a lot. And that's an advantage to chilling it in the fridge because the fat will separate yeah. to the top yeah. and you can just pick that off in like a chunk, <laughs> like yeah. get a fork and you can just scoop it all off. So I use that fat for everything. I know some people don't yeah. particularly like to, but for every type of hmm. stock that I make, I use the fat, all of it. Yeah. Um, I never Yeah, we, we just put it, I have a jar in the fridge that I just keep adding to. Hmm. And then it that's what turns into mayo or like if I'm making gravy, that's what goes in the pan usually. Yeah. So it gets used up pretty quick. Wonderful. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, have we covered it all, do you think? 
We yeah. know, but we've covered Africa a lot. <laughs> Is there anything throw, else you want to add? I'll, yeah, I'll throw out that last little detail and you can read more about this in Sally Fallon's book or just yeah. go online. You can probably find a lot too, that your bone broth is the best sports recovery and protein drink that you'll find out there because it's mm. got all those components that you need that you would pay so much money to have added into a powdered drink. And remember a lot of sports injuries wouldn't have happened if we'd had <laughs> good collagen, mm. good, um, bone structure and good movement. So of course, check out Katie Bowman's books, you know, Allison yeah. already mentioned that you yeah. read all of those and I'm reading them now. Um, but those go hand in hand with your ancestral foods. So get the protein for, yeah, if you have kids in sports and things like that, of course, you know, kids anyways, I think should be drinking it, but definitely rather than giving them some kind of a weird um, supplement, give them bone broth. Yeah. And do something different with your bone broth. If you've just, you know, been using it for stocks or soups, then try drinking it, add some herbs to it, um, use it to make gravy, do something different because it's such a versatile yeah and economical food it just make it for breakfast it, it really needs yeah it needs to be the heart of people's kitchen mm -hmm. it's a simple thing and um and it's so delicious so delicious <laughs> yeah and cook the if you have just feet and heads from chickens that's mm. what i've been doing for a really flavorless ish broth it's not mm -hmm. totally flavorless but if you want to make like hot chocolate or pudding or something like that um mm. you can use that Wow, that's a, a very different way of using it. <laughs> that sent me off thinking about other things now. Thank you. Hot chocolate broth. Yeah. <laughs> well, Alison. I'm going to go and make one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Okay, well then, um, let's, let's call this a wrap. And yeah. thanks to our patrons who bring this show to you all every week. Thank you so much, you guys, for supporting us. It means a lot. Yeah, and all the details will be in our show notes of everything we've talked about and also of our Patreon feed if you are interested in um, joining us. Thank you ever so you much, bet. Andrea. That was all a right. wonderful Bye, episode. Alison. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. <laughs>